know me, I hear it, you see it. Ooh, keep all this on here, you did. This is a big life project, big life, run off on your first plug for your best friend, wife. Ain't shit right. You know that we love drive. This is a big life project, big life, run off on your first plug for your best friend, wife. Ain't shit right. You know that we love drive. This is a big life project, big life, run off on your first plug for your best friend, wife. Ain't shit right. She wrong cause she knows she be fucking And this bitch that I'm loving And I want it for saving Fucking niggas we want it Some fuck the PJ, Some fucking the Hunters Some saying fuck the project Let's go get this money Hey. I do this shit for the money, you know I keep it 100 Bitch, we too hot to be dummies, we overthinking the subject I disrespect you and probably who got the bitch, who bustle, who got the glizzy I want it Ain't a nigga I'm trusting, every time I do a show, you know my bitch be tussling Baby, I'm the type of nigga that'll start a fight You lucky you the type of bitches who will swallow pipe Guarantee this little bitch is finna fucks and all, yeah It's a brick life project, brick life, run off on your first plug for your best friend, wife Ain't shit right You know that we live a drive this a brick life project, brick life, run off on your first plug, fuck your best friend wife. Ain't shit right. You know that we live a drive. This a brick life project, brick life, run off on your first plug, fuck your best friend wife. Ain't shit right. You know that we live a I'm from the section where we say it, bitch, for no reason. We carry glizzies and never receive Niggas ain't trapping, we thieving. My niggas is heathens. My niggas is deep. It's a brick life project, brick life. Run off on your first plug, fuck your best friend, wife. Ain't shit right. You know that we live a drive. This a brick life project, brick life. Run off on your first plug, fuck your best friend, wife. Ain't shit right. You know that we live a drive. It's that brick life project, brick life. Run off on your first plug, fuck your best friend, wife. Ain't shit right. You know that we live a drive. Nice. It jumped over. It jumped over twenty five for me, but I just you know counted a rhythm. It's in there. Yeah, it jumped over twenty three for me, which was like a bit. Oh, is my counting still on? But now we were good. We landed there. Um. Okay. So. I'm trying to think. Uh, I guess I'll pull up, like, what's a good sports news website? Because I want to make sure that I'm not forgetting anything. I guess I'll just pull up Bleacher Report real mm-hmm. quick. That works. 
um, and filter by NBA because there's hi listeners. Um, so we we're gonna record hot singles this week. We pushed it to next week um, because I'm having computer tro- problems uh, and didn't want to take on anything that's too difficult this week, to be honest. But we are going to talk about sports because sports keeps happening. <laughs> sports always fucking happen. They never stop happening, honestly. Namely, my least favorite GM went to my favorite team. <laughs> this is a struggle session for them. This is a... We need to work through some things. This is a... We need to like understand emotionally where we are, come to some understandings, come to some realizations, come to some... It's like make some personal negotiations about the conflicting, contradictory informations we have here. We're doing some... Uh, that This is basically like I'm the therapist for Autumn's Dialectical Behavior Therapy Session. <laughs> and we need to figure out, because the crisis is... We love the Philadelphia 76ers, and now yes. they're in the hands of Daryl Morey. Here's the thing. I Two or three days ago, I had texted you, I like Tobias Harris. I hope that we can get Tobias Harris, we, as if I work for the team, I hope <laughs> that the team can get Tobias Harris to a place where he's earning his money, you know? Yeah, that's Absolutely. Because he's fun when he's on, you know? It's just that he's not on very often. <laughs> I mean, even when he is on, you don't really want that player to be earning 35% of the cap. That's yeah. still an issue. Yeah, exactly. Um, Al Horford, I don't fucking care. Get get him the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that was a bad contract the day it was signed, even in the best of circumstances. <laughs> I feel somewhat hopeful about Nick's management saying we want to take on bad contracts, which is the thing they've been doing for 20 years. So I don't know how it's different, but they <laughs> said I mean, it. The- <laughs> so, the, so usually the Knicks do that whole handing out bad contracts thing when they don't think that's what they're doing. Now they're doing right. it when they know that's what they're doing. <laughs> that's the difference. Also, usually they're the ones writing the bad contracts, not taking rather it from than, other yeah, teams. Rather than taking assets in order to like get it off com- competing teams' hands. Yeah, no, it's so, exactly right. I feel hopeful about Daryl Morey stepping in at the Sixers, and we. it feels... I f- can see so clearly right now how Al, how Al Horford and possibly Tobias Harris both end up on the Knicks. Yeah. I mean, I don't really know what would come back to the Sixers in terms of money that would, like, satisfy Maury's, like... So the, these are the things, as in, like, previously when we were talking about uh, particularly Al Horford trades, it was like, well, who matches salary? Who's going to give commensurate value? And then that just goes sort of out the window with Darren Maury because Maury's one of those, like... The the background for the Sixers GM's history is like they were bad. They were continually bad post Iverson um, until Sam Hinkie took the reins, and Sam Hinkie was a disciple of um, Daryl Morey, and micromanaged right. the team's asset situation like to the nth degree to like accumulate the exact combination of assets that would guarantee them some superstars on a championship winning team or at least competing team in the future. And Morey is still that general manager. He might not be the sort of like. 
um, we will do this to the detriment of the players' well-being and the winning ability to like keep our team sane and culture stable and <laughs> you know all all that mm. basic stuff. V- mm. Valuing humans as humans rather than as merely assets. But um, he's not quite there, but he's almost there in that he uh-huh. will do stuff that, on the face of it, is very detrimental to the structure and basic needs of the team in order to like get assets and value in whatever he sees fit. So I'm very much expecting that the trades that eventually happen for particularly Horford aren't going to look like the ones that we originally saw or saw plotted out, which was like, oh, uh, we'll take on a similarly mediocre contract from another mediocre team who has a play who's right. kind of flawed, but like fits one of the three needs we have. And I'm more thinking like, no, Mori is going to be like, no, this team needs... A com- this team needs a star creator. Let's package five assets and Al Horford and go get Chris Paul. Like, that's the thing I'm expecting yeah. to happen now. Yeah. Um, I, he doesn't bit part stuff. <laughs> Daryl Morey believes in Chris Paul in a way that I don't. Um, yeah, no, that's fair. <laughs> Daryl Morey <laughs> traded for Chris Paul in Houston to try and make that team work. And it almost did because they were almost... The team that went up against the, the the Hamptons Five Warriors and beat them at their own game. Almost. As, as far as I'm concerned, the 2018 Western Conference Finals were the 2018 Finals. As far yes. as I'm concerned, and and not only were the, the, the that not only were the finals, but they were the finals between two of the most excellent and talented and like high performing teams we might have seen in the decade. Like that was some yeah. of the highest level basketball we'd seen since maybe the 2016 actual finals. Yeah, no, like, the the 2018 Western Conference Finals, some of the most fun I've ever had watching basketball. Great stuff. Yeah, totally. Um, it's also why I maybe fundamentally don't believe in Chris Paul, <laughs> but that's fine. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. It's, I mean, it's, Chris Paul will pull his hamstring and complain a lot and be paid a lot of money to be injured 30% of the time and the entirety of the playoffs, and that's what it is. Right. I mean, also, like, if Chris Paul hadn't gone down right before Game 7, like, maybe they don't miss 27 threes in a row. <laughs> I don't <Yeah>. know. <laughs> Just on a, on a basic level, that Rockets team was was a Chris Paul injury away from top and the Warriors. And the, they so many different teams, whether Clippers or Rockets, have been a Chris Paul injury away from glory that, you know, you might worry whether that's a, an issue with Chris Paul rather than any of those other teams. But anyway... So there's a lot of people on Sixers Twitter being like, oh, well, Simmons is going to learn to shoot a three or get traded under Daryl Morey because Daryl Morey is not going to have this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not as worried about that as everybody else, because I think I think that Daryl Morey um, wants to have a team shooting threes. But I think I kind of trust him to figure out how to make this situation work rather than try to make um, every Simmons situation Houston. Yeah. 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 I, I yeah. So the thing is, like, Daryl Morey is the guy driving the analytics revolution in the NBA, or was at least. He was the first yeah. guy to be like, we can maths out how to succeed and introduced, like, like he GM'd in a way that, like, completely deprioritized inefficient shots and absolutely made sure that there were like hyper efficient options on his teams at all times 
sometimes to the detriment of like the flexibility and the like complex complexity and nuance in the systems they played and that like burned them at points like they needed plan b's and they needed to like have better fundamentals at various points but like fundamentally he constructed some of the most efficient teams ever and he was ahead of the curve like super ahead yes. of the curve on like yes. three-point shooting and free throws being the way that you score efficiently so like i don't think he fetishizes the three-point i think he fetishizes efficiency and like yeah i think that's a better thing to fetishize to be clear like it's uh, it's like fetishizing anything is always a risk because there's a risk you just like make a team that is just like not covering some of the intangible stuff that like you cannot capture in analytics but that Joel Embiid's post-up is still one of the most efficient isolation or like single person moves in the game like I was listening to a podcast where it's like what are the three reliable actions this season that could get you 1.2 points per possession it was Mm -hmm. a Dame pick and roll it was a Harden iso and it was a Jojo um, post face up and like those were the three things that are like super efficient and reliable as your base offense and like that's good enough for Maury like you don't need to stop someone being in the post if they're actually efficient at it yeah and you can like yeah you can have Simmons pass to Embiid in the post every single time down the floor and win some regular season games you know Mm. Win a lot of regular season games, maybe. Yeah. So this is the thing. Why wasn't that working before? So the things that were like, what were the things that Maury will like look at and be like, now that's got to go. So the first Mm. thing is, I think he's going to be a much more accurate evaluator of talent than the previous regime was. And I think that means that Maury will look at Ben Simmons and think, you are supercharged Draymond Green. You are not a point guard. We need a point guard. Right. Right. So, like, this team cannot be efficient unless it gets some on-ball creation that comes from someone who can shoot. It all, This team also needs reliable three-point shooting from spot-up positions. Like, it lost JJ Redick, it lost um, Co- Covington and Saric. Like, they just need spacing. It's fucking madness that they let it's, JJ Redick go. It's fucking madness. That, uh, like, the value they got for their trades was, for Tobias, it was a bad trade. For, J- mm-hmm. for for Jimmy Butler, it was an okay trade because if you get a top fifteen player in the NBA, you trade whatever is necessary. And two role plays and a first and a first or whatever it was is fine value. But like yeah. they lost two shooters and lost um, Jimmy and didn't replace either the on ball creation or the 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 three shooting, and like ended up with neither of them at the end of it. Jimmy, I, Jimmy was kind of always gonna go. Like Miami was always the place that he wanted to be. I'm not spiritually, upset about that. Spiritually, he was he came home when he arrived at Miami, and like no one can begrudge him that. Right, letting JJ Redick go is like Baffling. what are we fucking doing here? Yeah, um, <laughs> and again, like we talk about those hyper efficient, reliable base offense things. The problem mm-hmm. with the Sixers relying on Embiid to be their like thirty point per game scorer, which he effectively has been asked to be. It's firstly that he's also their, their like linchpin defender, which is very hard to do when you're also a 30-point-per-game post-scorer. Right. And secondly, no one except for Simmons in this team can pass, which means that he's constantly having to fight to get position. He's constantly having to fight to even receive a bad pass from a bad passer, like uh, uh, Josh Richardson or Tobias or whatever. Like, no one can do an mm-hmm. entry pass, which means that like he struggles to get into basic positions to be effective. The, where the, the like bottom line is 
they had the JJ and Joel two-man game, which was like, we are not asking Joel to have the ball in his hand. We are not asking a bad passer to try and imp- uh, like entry pass it to him. We have a two-man game that works on its own. And that is also mm-hmm. like a 1.1, 1.2 possession, uh, points per possession, reliable action that we can just get something from. We can either get Joel will end up like with super deep position and an easy entry pass, or JJ will get a mid-ranger or a step back, or Joel can get like a switch and face up against a guard and it's super easy offense. And like the thing that the Sixers lost was not simply just like the abstract idea of shooting or the abstract idea of like ball handling or passing. It was like any avenue to make the tools that they absolutely do have. Like this is not an untalented team. Right. It's a team that lost all the means by which to be effective with those talents. Like they lost the spacing that might make Ben's on-ball skills effective. They lost spacing that might make Joel's post-ups unguardable. They lost the entry passing that might get Joel good position reliably. <laughs> and like they lost the on-ball creation that might make Ben as a dive man like unstoppable. Like all of the things you could possibly want, they stripped out. And we've got yeah. this team. Uh, hmm, this is the great hope. This is the great hope is that all the sort of chat we've had about like, what would it be, necess- be necessary to unlock the talents of these like weird players in the modern NBA? Daryl mm-hmm. Morey will say like, I know what we need to unlock the most from them. And like, that's the hope is that he's enough of an astute evaluator of talent and a, like a accumulator of value that he will find the right pieces, even if they look slightly unorthodox to start with. And like, mm-hmm. we will see. Oh, and I'm, I'm hoping also that there's a there's like two problems that I think are Embiid's biggest like where Embiid can grow as a player, which are oh, there are two causes of the same problem, which is that he can't play four quarters of a game, mm. he can't play forty minutes, <laughs> you know, um, because uh, he just looks bad in the fourth quarter of every game, and there's two reasons for that. One, he doesn't work out very much. <laughs> yeah, no, um, he is seven foot one with recurring lower body issues. He, he cannot push himself. He cannot run. These are the things you do not ask that player to do. And, and, and two, because uh, I mean, Jokic is one of the top 10 players in the NBA, and I also don't think that he works out very much. No. <laughs> but, but, but two, the other problem is that he... He's not in the condition to to like play a certain way, but you have to have him score thirty points a game and anchor your defense. Yep. You know, yep. <laughs> so at the like, very very least, like the, the there are. This is the great hope. This was the hope originally when the Sixers put this version of the team together. Was like, okay, JoJo's not. The, he's still the anchor of the defense. He's still the guy at the center who's going to sweat everything at the rim. But we have like. We can put out lineups with five very good defenders that could like lock the whole team down. That's like mm-hmm. Tobias would be the weakest defender in your lineup in that case, which is an incredibly good place to be. Yeah, and it just didn't happen. They were instead of being a stellar defense, they were a good defense, and that simply isn't good enough when you have a crap offense. Yeah, Embiid and Simmons should be like the second best defense in the NBA behind the Lakers, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, th- that personnel third best combo. behind the Bucks. Like, Yeah, like, <laughs> this is the level we should be talking at, and we're just not yet. Yeah. Um, there, yeah. Uh, I... Uh, you had kind of talked about, like, 
not being sure about the Doc Rivers decision. Yeah. I feel more hopeful because, like, I think... I think on some level, the problem is that you need Simmons to take things seriously and you need um, Embiid to work out more. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I think that that is the sort of thing that Doc Rivers is best known for. Yeah, Is, like, absolutely. getting people to, to check in and, like... Engage you know, Doc in Rivers way. is never going to go to the press and, like, start... Like almost crying, begging Simmons to shoot a three. <laughs> yeah, no, you're <laughs> never gonna get. You're never gonna get the sort of like confused desperation you got with Brett Brown. As much as I like Brett, he's not there. He wasn't a PR or relationship savvy coach in the same way. So yeah. the, the the biggest issue I had. So there were all sorts of risks I thought about hiring Doc. The, one of the biggest though was that he would take over the front office. And that's just not a risk anymore. Like you've hired Daryl yeah. Moore, you, you're not gonna get owner. Uh, sorry, coach slash GM. Um, uh, Doc Rivers and because mm-hmm. he was bad at that in the several stops that he's done that at it's just a better situation where he's just the coach and I think he's still yes. a very good coach the other part though is like what sort of playing philosophy will he implement and we weren't sure because he'd been in a situation where he'd always either had incredible wing creators or Chris Paul um, mm-hmm. or like historically that was like incredible win creator a post-up threat and Rajon Rondo to like that was the Boston team um the 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 idea was basically that like he had never been in a situation where he was lacking for playmaking and he's always valued having lots of playmakers so would they like I don't know under sorry undervalue the like skills that someone like Simmons had maybe get rid of him for an un like an underpowered shot creator or something like that would they just like overpay for bad shot creators who clog up their cap space all that sort of stuff and like I fundamentally don't think that this front office now is in a position where they're going to be willing to overpay for certain things like yeah there was a world in which they were like trading for fucking who would be like they try and get Reggie Jackson or Derek Rose or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that's just not going to happen anymore. Like those bad options where they like have a, a short term problem and they have make a short term fix that makes sense like intuitively, but like ultimately is a re- really bad value play is just not going to be there anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still worried about like, how do you actually put this team together? And I think it's an incredible challenge and I think it's going to be like, I'm genuinely super excited because it's like we've never seen a team be forced to attempt to like do new age basketball with very weird personnel. Like we saw the war. What this is the thing. So like <laughs> we've had teams like the Warriors, and the Warriors were a weird team in that like they everyone thought like oh they play small. That's the thing they do. The thing is they didn't really play small. They played with high skill level relative to their position sizes. Like you're not yes. super small when you still have like. Draymond, who's like a monster, even if he's only six seven at center. Like Clay's tall for a shooting guard. Igadala and Barnes were like good for their position, more than adequate in terms of positional size. And when they got Durant, they were effectively a big team. They could play with Durant at the four, and like they could right. still have a situation where everyone in their every one of their shooters could shoot over their defender. 
And the, the, is... the thing was, they were just like super skilled. They found a way to like get more skill on the court than the other team had, given the positional demands. And the Rockets were like that, but without the like weirdness of talent that you got with Durant and Draymond. They were just like, well, what's the extra skill that we can have over positions that the opponents can't guard, given the personnel available? And it's shooting. Like we're just gonna get like mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. who can shoot and adequately defend, given their good shooting. Um, and it worked. To a degree, but like, it, that's what the, worked. I just have no idea what the, I have no idea what the like hinge point for advantage is for the Sixers team because like, it's not going to be shooting. It can't be that. We have to wait and see how like Maury figures out how to craft plus efficiency with the baseline being you can't just cram shooters in. And the, the chances like you figure out a way to get a, an evolution of philosophical evolution of maybe the Bucks or maybe the Warriors where like the Bucks this year don't succeed because they have ex- exceptional shooting. Like Giannis is not a shooter. They, they obviously can put good shooting mm-hmm. around it, but like they figure out ways to be effective without having shooting on the court. So like, I bet we're going to see a lot of teams like, I bet we're going to see the Sixers looking at the Bucks for their playbook. I bet they're also going to look at the Warriors for like what sort of offenses are going to generate the right looks for the right people when the advantage is skill or defense rather than shooting. And like, that's the, this is the like weird conundrum. I almost wonder because you mentioned the bucks and Maury comes from Houston. I almost wonder if we're looking at a new, um, like maybe a season or two or seven. I don't know of the Sixers like being a great regular season team because like Mm. the Bucks are like built to be a regular season team because in the regular season you can give Giannis the ball at the top of the key every single possession and it'll just work in a way that that won't in the playoffs and it didn't in the playoffs indeed (laughs) um and so yeah and this is also the thing that I associate so powerfully with Houston is that like great regular season team, like unstoppable in the regular season because you can, you know, um, you can give uh, Harden the ball at the top of the key every single time. <laughs> yeah. um, and then things I, change in the playoffs that the dynamics change so that like it doesn't work the same way. Yeah, I'm curious. Mm. I'm curious if we can, because also, also now thinking about you know, when's the last time Doc Rivers got to the conference finals? You know? Yeah, it's been a minute. Um, twenty ten. <laughs> was it was it with Boston? Because he didn't manage it with the Clippers, right? He didn't manage it with the Clippers. Did he go anywhere between Boston and the Clippers? I don't think he did. No, it must have been. It must have been the title season with Boston, right? Well, because they also went to the finals oh, in yeah. twenty ten. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, I think, a big part of why anyone still cares about that Boston team because everybody talks like that Boston team won like seven championships in a row, and that's yeah. just not true. No, it, it won in two, oh, seven oh eight. It lost in the finals in nine ten. It lost in the conference finals in eleven twelve, and that yeah. was that was his that was his deal. Yeah, and then yeah, okay. Um, God, they missed the playoffs in 2017, 2018. God, when did Chris Paul? Chris Paul left in 2016 from the Clippers? I think he, he left at the end of the 2016-17 season, I think. Okay. And then that 17-18 yeah. season was 
the like uh, oh shit 2016-2017 Los Angeles Clippers. Following the season, Chris Paul was traded to the Rockets for Patrick Beverly, oh, Lou Williams, the, the, Trez. A, a garden shed. <laughs> like, literally, was, there's like half of their starting five right now. Yeah, it was, well, it was seven players plus, yeah. Plus a first round draft pick. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, this was the, the like... This was the season where they cobbled together and started to find out what they had in like Gallo and Montrez Harrell and Pat Beverly mm-hmm. and people like that. And Lou Williams yeah. was obviously excellent, but that was just an underpowered team. And they somehow turned out to be good enough with the like value plays they made the following season that they were like the perfect place for, you know, um, PG and Kawhi to drop into. But like. Is Paul George the biggest fraud in the NBA? Like. <laughs> Paul George is a catfish. Paul George is a fucking catfish. <laughs> so, th- so this is where, like, okay, so th- these are the feelings about that. Was, those were the Houston. That was the Houston session. Sorry, the Maury session. I yeah. think just to be clear, you're entirely right. I think 100 percent the um the like this is what is a like. I don't think it's the identical problem to what the Bucks had. The Bucks were just built weird in a way that like Giannis was an untested and ultimately proven to be like faulty playoff performer and that's a different Mm -hmm. problem to the houston one which is like efficiency does not equal effectiveness in different situations um Mm -hmm. and that like there is a risk that like the hunt for efficiency means different like a lack of effectiveness but fundamentally like we're not talking about james harden who you can guard a certain way and streaky shooters like if there are going to be problems they're going to be new exciting interesting problems yes yes so it's going to be fun along the way I think the arms race um, between the Bucks and the Sixers to get Chris Paul is going to be exciting. You yeah, know? I mean, I've, if Chris Paul moves, I think those are the two teams who are most likely to like go for it, and both of them are fascinating outcomes, including what the fuck happens in the um, in, in to either team if they don't manage to pull it off. So yeah. Also, like, um, you know, I. I I was joking about not believing in Chris Paul. Maybe if you put him in the Eastern Conference, like maybe I start believing in Chris Paul. Yeah, you know? so like fundamentally, he's still a very good player and he's done extraordinarily well in OKC. Um, yeah. But like he is also going to be earning like $45 million in three years' time. So, God. you know, yeah, that contract is ludicrous. But yeah, so that was the, the, the Daryl Morey session. I'm fucking excited. And I say this as someone who is not yes. like wedded one way or the other to an, a take about Daryl Morey. It's more like the, the hope that was kindled by the process is like alive again, simply by the fact that like the thing they needed to fix was the front office and they've just fixed the front office. It's going to be interesting whatever happens, even if like the situation itself materially hasn't changed. Like they're still saddled with two horrible contracts, right. two stars who don't fit together with each other and no extra assets and like <laughs> this weird, confusing cap situation. So like, it's still going to be hard. It's just that like when you've got Daryl Morey, more shit is possible. Yes, exactly. Um, so yeah, now is the like heat check. Sorry, I said heat check. The heat. <laughs> On the end of the NBA playoffs. So like uh, Paul George is a catfish. Jimmy Butler yeah. stole the soul of Michael Jordan and it still wasn't enough to be LeBron, who was probably the GOAT. And that's my like arc of the final few rounds of the NBA playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, what did we learn? What, what, are the, what are your like big shiny hot takes? 
Um, Paul George is the most fraudulent player in the NBA. The Clippers should trade him as soon as they possibly can. <laughs> <laughs> they should they should not let Kawhi go uh, in free agency, but they should let Paul George go in the free, in free agency. So this is the problem. Do you remember what they gave up to get Chris uh, to get Paul George? Everything. <laughs> I'm literally going to try and find the list. Um, so. In on um the twenty on the tenth of July two thousand and nineteen, the Thunder traded George to the Clippers for Shea Gilgis Alexander, good player, Danilo Gallinari, good player, five first round draft picks, and the rights and the rights to swap two other first round picks. They traded God. seven first round picks and two good players for Paul George. Well, really, really for Kawhi because. Kawhi wanted Paul George. They tried. The, they they traded that many assets for like the cap space and like power to be like right where the play, where play is now. And like fundamentally, they still ended up with a team who like are going to the playoffs. Everyone thought was the favorites for the for the for the title. Like they yeah. didn't do this and end up low on talent. What they did was like end up with Paul George as your number two, which is still like an unproven thing at this point. And mm-hmm. no assets to improve or maneuver in the future. So yeah. Well, and importantly, they gave this all to a Western Conference team in Sam Presti, who is maybe one of the most talented like scouts in the NBA right now. Like yeah. Sam Presti drafted Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook back to back, and oh, they gave and James Harden <laughs> and Serge Ibaka like. He is yeah. one of the best team constructors in the NBA. Like, again, like when people were doing the, like, who's the top tier of NBA general managers? It's like, Ainge, maybe, I think he's probably there. Pat Riley, probably, definitely, yeah. probably there. And then it's like the no-brainer picks at the very top tier is like, Daryl Morey, hey, he's in Philadelphia now. Masai mm-hmm. Ujiri, um, uh, who, the yeah. mag- magician yeah. for Toronto, and Sam Presti, because... Like constructing the the almost almost incredible young OKC team, and then like making the most incredible rebuilds um, imaginable off the back of the yeah. the Paul George trades. Yeah, like they the the clips. I thought the clips were in a like you have to win this season sort of thing. Yeah, and the season that just ended. And they're really in one now because, yep. like, yep. yep. And they, now they have to win against, you know, Steph, Clay, and Dre, and they have to win against, you know, maybe KD and Kyrie. I feel like every week, like, like this week, everybody's on KD and Kyrie are going to walk to the finals. Yeah, I know? don't think that's going to happen. So and I, then like... next next week, everybody's going to be like, no, 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 they're doomed. And then the week after that, everybody's going to be like, we've overblown it. And no one's played basketball yet. No one's seen Kevin Durant play basketball. (laughs) We don't know if he can. We don't know if he will for another three months. Like, fundamentally, the record of people coming back from um, Achilles tears is, like, horrific. Um, But, hey, there is... So, there's the The Athletic is a website that you pay for and I pay for to get, like... Lots of ad-free podcasts and also excellent print journalism. I should pay for The Athletic because the ads on their podcasts are fucking annoying, but I so do the, not pay for The Athletic. Yeah, so the problem <laughs> is you can't get the ad-free versions on the podcast outside of The Athletic app. You can't just get them in your normal feed. You have to oh, go. that's annoying. It really is. 
But also the journalism itself is like really good and I read like a couple athletic articles a day and I thought, yeah, fuck it, it's probably worth it. Yeah. Um, but, but that aside, so one of the journalists did a like full tier list for the top 125 players in the NBA. And I listened to, I read the articles and then both the write-up for KD and then the discussion that's been around it is like, KD couldn't come back and be on the tier with like LeBron, Kawhi, um, Harden, Giannis. He could be that because that's where he was before. Steph would be that, assuming he comes back from his injury, is fine as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he could come back and, like, have no athleticism. And at that point, like, he's still a very good, if immobile, defender at the four. He's still six foot eleven and an incredible shooter. Um, he's still, like, a good passer and a good ball handler. He might not have the bust, though, to, like, get to the line, get to, get to the basket, um, defend high-level wings... But, like, mm. the, the comparison was, like, if he's awful, he's still Chris Middleton, given how good his skills are. Right. Chris Middleton and Kyrie doesn't get you to the finals. It's a good no. team, but it's not, not a finals team. And that's a catastrophe for Brooklyn. But the range is between, like, 50th best player in the NBA and, like, third best player in the NBA. And we just do not yeah. know. He could be, like, 80. He could be in, most likely to be in, like, you know... Uh, Jason Tatum, Joel Embiid's range of like maybe not elite superstar given the love of athleticism, but still very good. Jimmy Butler too. Yeah. Or, or he could just be like one of the elite shooters and not a not a force in the same way. And we just don't know. I I want to believe. I want to believe. I would love for him to just be excellent still. Or maybe maybe you know because I I I think he was. I think he was the, the best scorer in the NBA for a decade. Um, and I think he was like the second best player in the NBA probably for a decade. I would, I hope, I pray that like he drops to like the fifth or the sixth. Yeah. You know, like. No like, lower. That's what I want. I don't know if that's going to happen, but that's what I want. Yeah. I want the conversation to be like. Well, KD can't be your like do it all wing athlete in the way that LeBron and Kawhi can, but he can create and um and score efficiently in a way that AD can't. Where do we rank AD versus KD in our like top ten rankings at like six? Right, and that should be that. I hope is the debate we're having in a year's time, rather than like KD's still an exceptional score or, like shooter but can't dribble and pass because his ankle falls apart every time he, like, takes steps. Um, Is he better than, like, spending a third on JJ Redick or equivalent, like, sharpshooter? Right. And I... I, I, I'm curious how the fit with Kyrie is going to be. Yeah, I mean, that Um, team needs to make moves. So just, like, to be clear, that backcourt right now is... Kyrie, Karis Lever, and Spencer Dinwiddie. And that, those that's three... That's good. That's good. It's also way too much ball handling when you've got Kevin Durant to come in. Um, they will exactly. Need to, they will need to get, like, wing defense. They will need to get, like, shooters who do not need the ball on their hands. They do need to get players who do not need the ball on their hands. Um, people were throwing... I did the ton this podcast. People were throwing around, around like, a Josh Richardson for... Um, Spencer Dinwiddie trade. And, like, I think that's bad value for for Brooklyn. But, like, that's the sort of move that I fully expect them to make. Or those kinds of moves where, like, they need to lose a ball handler to get, like, good 
three and D players or good like rim running center or like stretch four or whatever it might be. Yeah, um, I've been I've been texting you about like some friends and I have been doing a like all time fantasy draft and like mm-hmm. like yeah the the thing that like I almost stumbled into was that I had like my everybody in my starting five needed to have the ball at the top of the key to be effective <laughs> and I like changed my whole plan to make it work but like I think that is like a very easy thing of like oh we need ball handling oh we need ball hand- and, and now yeah now you've got like. Suddenly none of them scale with each other. Like all of them are like only so efficient because they have to take turns being the guy with the ball in their hands. As opposed to like... I don't know what Kyrie's Mm. assist numbers are off the top of my head, but someone's got to pass it to Kevin Durant so that he can be Kevin Durant. Yeah, exactly. KD is not point guard. (laughs) Yeah, so that Kevin Durant can stand 40 feet away from the basketball, or from the the hoop and, and hit it Without even jumping. <laughs> exactly. You know? <laughs> uh, the, I just want to see... I fucking just want to see Kevin Durant reigning that, like, left side of the arc pull-up over Jason Tatum, like, four games a year. That's just the thing I want to see this year. I just yes. want it. In my soul, I want the, like, the dribble, like, the, the slow walk into a three off the left side of the court that Kevin Durant has been doing for a decade. I just want, I want it so much. There was, who did they play? Who did, who did the Golden State play in the 2019 Western Conference Finals? The Conference Finals? Because there was. Portland. Portland. There was that, that last Uh, really iconic KD um, playing for the Warriors moment of like, he had hit a game winner from like, 36 feet out and it was like the exact same spot that he'd hit it like in the western conference the year before or something i'm trying to remember mm-hmm. what it was oh I, I, not... yeah no you're right i don't know the the exact one you mean but like i just i want that every single night i want <sighs> katie to be hitting like just dame lillard shots and turning around before he before they even like get halfway there. Yeah. I know? mean the, the the classic well the the one that sticks in the memory is that one over LeBron just again walking into that left side of the, the arc thing over yeah. LeBron in the finals in twenty eighteen. Yeah. Um and like yeah. It's it, we just want to see that version of that player again. I don't know if we will, but I hope we do. I think uh, of I think of Kyrie in kind of the same way that I think of um Allen Iverson, which is that, like, <clears throat> yeah, one of the most fun players to watch. But I maybe could... not the play you want to win a title. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's um, just fine. It's just fine. We need it's... those plays in the league. It's better yeah, that way. No. Yeah, I, I would love it also if Kyrie didn't say things about the Earth being flat or vaccines, but like, he's just joyous to watch. Yeah, <laughs> so to be clear, Kyrie, like one in eight of his outlandish statements is like a take he read on the internet about white supremacy, and that's like good and correct. And the other seven are about a mix of like pseudo-psychological puzzle improvement stuff and just plain off junk science. And it's mm-hmm. it's not fun. Yeah. Also... <laughs> Anytime you watch a clip of someone trying to ask him about one of these things, yeah. he's just like, did I say the earth was flat? Or did you just think 
because you read a headline that I said the earth was flat, that I had said the earth was flat. Do you really think about how the media controls what you think? Because maybe I said the earth was flat, but that's beside the point. <laughs> he says a lot of things. <laughs> he talks so much. I think the I think the whole thing about um, him and KD being like, maybe I could be the coach. Maybe Jacques Vaughn could be the head coach. I think that is the most like nothing thing that like everybody just wanted a story out of the Nets um, and yeah, decided that was. They a- just asked Kyrie to talk in a microphone for a while, and some shit came out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm still very excited for Steve Nash head coaching. That's like a cool yeah. development. Um, it's just a good thing to have in the world. Um, yeah. So like, other big headline stories. So like. Denver was a story, Miami was a story, and then inevitably the Lakers were a story. So, like, with mm-hmm. any of those you want to, you'd like have extra takes on, or um, I I don't have I don't have takes necessarily about then what the fuck the we Lakers. Doing here? <laughs> uh, I don't. <laughs> I don't have takes about the Lakers because I think, um. In the bubble, they were the best team. Yeah. Um, like, it's just not, like, exciting in that way. Uh, my only take about the Heat is that, like, I hope that they can get to a good spot with Bam. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. If I was if I was Bam's agent and if I was... Um, if I was Bam's agent, I know what I want. If I was the Miami front office, I don't know. I think they need to do right by Bam. I think, like... But I, I just don't know. Yeah, I don't know what that looks like right now. Um, yeah. It's a max contract for sure. But yeah, I don't know so if like this year. Or... A, a good comparison for Bam, I think, is Pascal Siakam, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, Siakam got paid, like, proper paid. I'm pulling up Siakam's basketball reference page and looking at his contract. Um, Should be here somewhere. Um, yeah, so, like,. His current contract jumps to a four-year extension, uh, averaging around thirty-two million dollars a year. So it's four years, one hundred thirty million um, for four years, and that I don't think is the max. Max that might be. Hmm, it might be his max, given he's uh, coming off a rookie co- contract. Um, right, and that's like the right amount of value for a player who was the second, uh, second or third option on a title-winning team. But yeah. also not a comfortable situation for the Toronto to be in when he's forced to be their number one option. And like the situation they have now, Bam is like second or third best player on a team that goes to a championship finals. Right. But also that becomes an incredibly hard thing to sustain because he's currently on his rookie scale, I think, and will be for another year. But they need to add talent around that core. Otherwise, they will like lose bits and pieces and eventually get forced to have Bam as their both highest honor, but also best player. And that's not a tenable position. Like Bam's really good at being a number three. He would not succeed at being a number two or one. And, and I want all the best things for Bam in life. I, if I'm Miami's front office, I'm just like, Giannis is a free agent in a year, maybe like, Mm. and Giannis Mm. seems to maybe want to be here. Like, <laughs> if I was Giannis, I'd want to be in Miami. I'd want to stay in the Eastern Conference, and I would be looking at, like, the Sixers is not a good fit for him. Boston's not <laughs> no, a good no, fit no. for him. Like, who are the contenders in the East if you want to stay in the East? And I think you do. 
you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, everyone's going to power at the Warriors. I think the answer really is Dallas. I think if 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 Giannis wants to move Giannis somewhere to, to win, be good. if if Giannis wants to win forever, he moves to Dallas, and you have a you have your three best players being Porzingis, um, Doncic, and Giannis, and like that's just incredible. Like it's just that Do- combination. Doncic of, and Giannis next to each other. It, that would be one a, sounds like oh, delightful. Just sounds so fucking fun. Yeah, and also. Um, yeah, they're both, like, Giannis is 25, Doncic is 21. Yeah. Like. <laughs> that would be a team that's a contender for six years, seven years. Yeah, like. As long as Giannis stays there and is healthy, then they're a contender. Yeah, um, and could, could easily, like, contend six or seven years, win three of them. Easy. Yeah, this is, that's, Easy. <laughs> that's the sort of situation we're talking about. But, um, yeah, so, like. Again, like what, look at the model for what the other teams did. It's like two pair, two star pairings that really are at that level where you've got two top ten players and like one of whom is an incredible creator. And that's exactly what that would be. It would be like you have Don Doncic who is in the top three offensive players in the league right now, as in like Harden, Doncic, mm-hmm. and either LeBron or Steph or Lillard in that sort of tier. And right. then and then like Giannis being like not the greatest single creator but one of the most effective players in the league on the level of like Kawhi and AD and him and that's it. So like and, the, and the model is there for a championship team. That's the point. And giving him a ball handler as good as Doncic means that he doesn't have to Euro step his way to the basket every single possession, mm-hmm. which maybe helps his it longevity. Just, it opens up his game so much as well. Like he doesn't need yeah. to be the battering ram. He can be the play finisher that he just takes the load off him. He can be even better on defense if you get the like effort out of him on that end instead of on offense. Yeah. Him as a dive man, him as a short roller who can still make passes. It's just, that's the, the, the dream. Um, it, it is such an easy, um, pair to envision in a way that like i would love to see jimmy and um Giannis together i don't know exactly how you make that work because i think yeah. of them both as like not guys who shoot threes granted they've got maybe they've got tyler hero and duncan robinson around them so it's fine you know yeah exactly and that's the sort of thing where like as soon as you name a player who isn't like an abstract like 2k number in the high 90s and like mm. actually figure out what they're good at and what they need to succeed around them like it becomes a whole lot more complex and that's why yeah. the good gms are good gms for a reason and you can't yeah. simply just accumulate stats or theoretic attributes but yeah um bucks flamed out i've i'm torn between wanting to see the bucks figure it out and wanting Giannis to go somewhere really fun and i think the most fun would be dallas but yeah, yeah i, I- I want small market teams to succeed in the NBA, mm-hmm. but maybe like Giannis does not have to be the guy that shoulders the problem of small market teams not being viable. <laughs> maybe <laughs> like just wanted to live live his best life, and his best life is probably not in Milwaukee. Maybe Michael Jordan managing uh, the fucking Charlotte Hornets better. Is like how you solve this problem. Yeah, you no, know, no, no. maybe it's this is, not. Odd. We're not going to idealist history our way to small market success. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't have takes on any of the remaining teams. Like just the good NBA playoffs, weird one, oh, obviously. I have, but I have one last um, Giannis take, which is that 
I maybe don't want him to golden to go to Golden State because like I don't know. I just I think there's more fun options than going to Golden State. I think but, it would be a circus, but like maybe not the best option for yeah. anyone's career, honestly. Like Yeah, I think if he went to Golden State and they won one, it messes up Curry's legacy, it messes up Durant's legacy, it messes up Giannis's legacy. <laughs> I mean, a, t- um, a title's a title's a title, honestly. Like, if Steph yeah. is the player who facilitates, like, not only wins a unanimous MVP, like, revolutionizes the game, but also facilitates bringing the best out of two of the other all-time greats of his era, then, like, that's not a bad legacy to have. It's a different kind of legacy. It's not the, like, Kobe-style um, put a team mm-hmm. on your back and carry them single-handedly kicking and screaming to a title. And I think it's a better, more interesting legacy to have. But it also won't satisfy yeah. the old heads, you know? Yeah. Um, but if Giannis did go, go did go to Golden State, I would love to see Golden State for four years playing with a post player like Giannis. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. <laughs> just watching just them they, they do haven't their had, ball movement stuff they haven't with had a, a guy who can just beat the hell out of the other team. Yeah, they just haven't had that like physically dominant threat at all. Like... Katie was a threat to be that, but just didn't want to, and was actually just so efficient shooting mid-ranges and threes that, like, why would you bother overexciting yourself and straining yourself too much? And before that, they just, like, their centre was Andrew Bogut. It, they very rarely used that sort of, like... like <laughs> the closest they had to a player like Giannis was fucking JaVale McGee, and Giannis is on, like, right. <laughs> an, not only an athletic level that matches or maybe exceeds JaVale, but, like, a skill level that is, like, unthinkable compared to JaVale. <laughs> I do. I do have one um, one correction to issue real quick, which is you said Javale McGee. I I like to point out uh, three time NBA champion oh, Javale McGee to give him to give him his full title. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, my word! Talk about putting your team on the back, Javale out here, out here, <laughs> not getting any minutes in the finals, but still getting his ring because of fucking course. You know, I was kind of pissed when the Lakers like. No, he, uh, he, he, got, he got minutes on the court. I, I, I take that back, yeah. but you know what I mean. He averaged yeah, ten he, minutes, sub ten minutes a game over the playoffs. You know what? You know what it is. When, when Avery Bradley decided not to go to the bubble, um, I was more than a little side eyeing the Lakers for bringing J.R. Smith into the bubble. That seemed like a bad idea in like eight <laughs> different ways. But could, could actually, get ring. I don't think J.R. played a single minute in the playoffs. Let's have a look. Let's have a look. I think he was. I remember seeing him courtside every game. That's and enough. I am, I am smitten with the idea of. Yeah, we brought J.R. Smith to the bubble because we knew that it was going to be hard, and we ne- we just needed a guy who was going to fucking party. <laughs> yeah. So in the playoffs, of which the Lakers played, what like I'm going to also look at how what LeBron's numbers were. LeBron James. Because LeBron played in every playoff game, obviously. So yeah. Uh, so there were twenty-one playoff games. LeBron started twenty-one of them, averaged thirty-six minutes a game. It's mm-hmm. not bad. Um, there were of those twenty-one, Jr. played in six and started none of them, averaging thirteen minutes a game. So you know, played in. Played in, Played in six. six. That's probably all garbage time minutes. It literally is just like 
empty calorie minutes. Um, yeah, playoffs per game, 2019-2020. Let's see. Um, I've we've got, got uh, 2020 playoffs. What do we got here? We've got, he played in four Portland games. Um, oh, no, no, no. He played in three Portland games. Huh. One of them um, might have been tight. I think, I think they didn't, here's, here's how, uh, here's how valuable JR was to the team. He didn't even play in that last game against Miami when they were up by like 30 for most of the game. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't even put him in that. Not fucking taking any chances. No way. (laughs) Never. He was there ripping his shirt off. (laughs) Fucking course. Just to be clear, he also did shoot sub 10% from three. If... <laughs> sorry, if J.R. Smith is going to shoot sub 10% from three, he should never play an NBA game again. I thought he should never play an NBA game in the 2018 finals, but if he's going to shoot sub 10% from three, why is he even in the league other than LeBron personally might be fond of him? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know how it works. <sighs> He's, he's on clutch sports. That's how it works. So, yeah. He played eight games in the regular He played six games in the regular Yeah, sorry. I realized I've just confused the the bubble minutes he got for the Lakers with the playoff minutes he got for the Lakers. He got fine. He he appeared in 10 games in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Averaging yeah. seven he played, minutes. He played six games in the regular season. Yeah, the six regular season games. They were all bubble games. Yeah. So, he was not in the league until the bubble. No, he wasn't at all. <laughs> God. Adorable. But, yeah, there we go. So that's NBA chat. So we have been going for a while. Yes. You did, however, send me a exciting Discord message a day or two ago. I did. I did. So we do you, should. Do I'm going to put it like a 15 minute time limit on this talk. Uh-huh. That's the only thing. So but yes, we should talk about this. Okay. All right. So what I'm going to do is just I'm just going to open the Wikipedia page for the Premier League and ask you to go to the list of teams. Okay. It's right there. Linked it. Um, there we go. 2020. For people who don't have access to Regs and I's Discord DM, <laughs> I just became part of a uh, a website where you can watch old sports games. I won't say anything more than that. Um, and um, I just messaged Regs, hey, if there were any like super exciting Premier League or La Liga matches like from the last couple months... Tell me, and I will just download one of those games and watch them, you know? Yeah. All right. So this is the thing. This is the thing. So how can I put this? There are many matches I could think of, whether that's England, Spain, or potentially also Europe. I think a lot of the best matches in terms of like narrative and also quality are also in Europe over the last season Mm -hmm. or so. Um, The season was heavily disrupted by COVID stuff, so it's very much in two chunks. Some of the stuff after the break was like slightly less atmospheric and like energetic, but was also weird and messy. But like the thing is, (laughs) what I can't tell you is we talk about the Sixers a lot. We talk about Jimmy Butler a lot. We talk about Steph and his legacy. We talk about KD because he's a fucking poster. I can't Mm. tell you which team you're going to like emotionally connect with. This is the problem Mm. I have. So yes. what I can do is just like vibe check a bunch of teams and see 
what what's going on and um yeah so i'm just trying to think what are the options so like the 2021 season in alphabetical order arsenal that's the team i support um underachieving historic giant um Mm -hmm. i say historic giant one of the more successful clubs in the recent era but hasn't been at the top tier for maybe a decade um cool team london team i like them a lot um very very famous for their like style of play but also being like mentally fragile they're they're like they're who who would trying to think if there are any obvious analogs and i can't because the boston celtics (laughs) no no this is the problem is and they the analogs don't work um uh, it's unfortunate the analogs don't work again both because like the way the franchise system is just not the same as the way that like the english club system works nor does the um like the the like what happens in fallow periods for a top tier team is not like losing 20% uh losing 70% of your games because if you do that you're relegated it's like right. you come fourth instead of first so you know um Aston Villa irrelevant for our purposes Brighton cool but irrelevant for our purposes Burnley mm. they kick the shit out of people they lump the ball upfield it's ugly but effective they're endearing but not very exciting Okay. Chelsea, weird. Um, currently being managed by Frank Lampard, who's a club legend, uh, like won the Champions League and many titles with the team. Um, the He's an inexperienced manager who's just been given one of the biggest single season investments in terms of like paying cash for players. He has got some of the best young talent in Europe at his disposal and they are a team that cannot defend and are very exciting when they attack, so they're fun to watch. However, the team has fucked vibes. If there is a if there is a Red Sox is honestly the like <gasps> okay Chelsea are the Red Sox in that they're like <laughs> you're the, selling me on Chelsea <laughs> um, Chelsea have like the racist fan base and the ludicrously moneyed ownership and he's a Russian oligarch called Roman Abramovich he's a shit um, yeah so I remember this now yeah Crystal Palace irrelevant for our interest Everton interesting they just hired as their manager a guy called Carlo Ancelotti who is one of the great European managers he's used to managing clubs like AC Milan Real Madrid Bayern Munich like some of the like all time great European teams and he's landed at like Liverpool's second team um, to, to try and like rescue well not rescue this club just got bought by big I think Chinese money maybe I'm not sure I can't remember it might not be Chinese it might be Middle Eastern um, and have been like slowly transforming themselves over the last three years after like an initial wave of very profligate spending. But suddenly they're one of the better teams in the Premiership and maybe are on like a top four challenge this season. Interesting, but not the top tier yet. Fulham, irrelevant. They're going to get relegated. Leeds are one of the best teams. And I think I've just realized which game I'm going to send you. Okay, okay. Which okay. is um liverpool leads from the 12th of november uh, sorry 12th of september this season okay liverpool leads and so to explain who leads are, i need to tell you who their manager is their manager is marcelo bielsa bielsa is an icon of the sport i think i mentioned bielsa maybe when we were chatting about um barcelona this, yeah it rings a bell so yeah he is like maverick genius tactician one of the most like demanding managers in the game and one of the most like ideological like one of the great ideologues of, of like true tactical football and thinking um mm-hmm. also a great innovator who inspired many of the other good managers in the in the current wave of um 
elite teams. Um, he took hold of Leeds United, who are a sort of fallen giant of English football. Team used to be like chaotically managed and owned by people who just couldn't fund the club properly. They fell out of the Premier League to the second tier. And Bielsa took the team and within two seasons got them playing the best football in the championship. They won the championship last season and now they look like a good Premier League side. They are fascinating mm. and exciting and high energy and far more than the sum of their parts and a very cool team to watch. Leicester City. Um, cool vibes. Um, they have one of the greatest fairy tale stories of the Premier League. When in the 2015-16 season, they came from just avoiding the relegation, uh, just avoiding relegation to the following season, having been one of 5,000 to one outsiders winning the league. That was one of the great all time underdog Premier League stories. Um, okay. They're awesome. They're cool. They're managed by a guy who called Brandon Rogers, who's like a fun manager. Um, very like tactically astute and like good at putting together possession football. Just great team. Liverpool. They won the title last season. They are the juggernauts of European football, one of them at least. Currently suffering from some injuries, but that's beside the point. They are dynamic, physical, brutal, incisive. I love watching them. They're not my team, but I just love watching them. Um, mm. Which is why I'm sending you to watch Liverpool, because I think that you'll have fun watching them play. Um, Manchester okay. City. Um, this is oil money being used to basically do sports washing job. However, the way they've done this is by getting Pep Guardiola, the ex-Barcelona manager and what one of the other like Bielsa disciples great like philosophers of football to he, right. he's like he's one of those teams who like I'm trying to think what the they, they are in search of footballing Nirvana like f f say what you like about the pop <laughs> say what you like about the team they are in search of footballing Nirvana um they set the points record um, in 1718. Uh, they got 100 points in a season, which had never been done before. It's a all-time all record that, like, they... How many games are played in a season? 38, each of which is worth three points. I think that uh, 38 times three is 114. So they dropped 14 points all season. Um, it is a ludicrous record. Um that's the, the the hundred points is the equivalent of the seventy three wins. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. To be clear, like Liverpool and City both got plus ninety over like ninety seven and ninety eight the following season, and then Liverpool won the league with ninety eight the season afterwards last season. So like Liverpool okay, and wait. Liverpool and City are at a stratospheric level. Like you've got two teams who at their best, if they figure themselves out in any given season, can be at the level of one of the great all-time teams. So yeah, they're good. They're really good. So so points, I thought when you said 100 points, that was 100 goals scored? Oh, no. Um, you get three for a win, one for a draw. Okay, okay. Okay, so yeah, they were just winning a shit ton of games. They okay, won, I'm with you now. Yeah, they won 85% of their games. It was 90% of the games. Yeah, like, they're just very good. Shit. But just to be clear, Liverpool and City are two teams that could win the Champions League at any given year. If they string their actual, like, tactics and form together, they could go on tears that just, like, rip the league to, league to shreds. Great. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Man United. Um, and a team owned by the, the, the Glazers, so same as the... Uh, Denver Nuggets and I think Glaze. I'm just looking it up because they own 
a bunch of sports teams. Oh, Liverpool are owned by the Fenway, who also own the, the Red Sox, just to be clear. They're just slightly less obnoxious about it because they're not in the UK as well. Um, but yeah, they own the Buccaneers and the Glazers, sorry, the owners of United also own the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the um, Denver Nuggets, I think. Mm. Um, no, sorry, I'm getting mixed up. The Cronkies own the Denver Nuggets. That's Arsenal. Sorry, there's all sorts of American sports crossovers. Bottom line, United are a team that historically have been one of the most all-time successful. They have the record for the currently one ahead of Liverpool for most top-tier titles ever. Um, they are a sleeping giant in that they are one of the most commercially successful clubs in the country, but also like haven't been anywhere near good enough for about a decade since they lost Sir Alex Ferguson, who was like all-time great Premier League manager. Um, one of their old players is currently managing them, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He's probably tactically shaky, but they are cool and fun to watch because you don't know what to expect from them. Not a right. great team, but fun and silly. Um, Newcastle. Um, fucked vibes, mostly because they currently have an owner called Mike Ashley, who runs basically the closest equivalent to, like, sweatshop clothes manufacturing labor in the UK. Like, um, you know, Amazon warehouse delivery style stuff, but sports, sports goods is the vibe. Um, no one wants him to own that team anymore. That team is so much better, like, spiritually than they are right now, but fuck vibes for right now. Sheffield are cool, um, tactically innovative, but small, just a name to watch out for, but not particularly exciting right now. Southampton, not relevant for our purposes. Spurs. Spurs are managed by Jose Mourinho. Jose Mourinho is one of the all-time great modern managers, the sort of anti-Pep Guardiola. Um, he's sort of had this long-running rivalry with City's current manager from when they were mutually Barcelona and Real Madrid managers. Um... He is the uh, pragmatist. He prioritizes physicality, brutishness sometimes, um, mm -hmm. often pace and counterattacking uh, power, but, but often from a very rigid defensive shape. And for some reason, this team has just come good after a catastrophic season last season. Like they had gone to like, when Liverpool won the Champions League, they played Spurs in the final, but they were crap in the league and fell apart the next season. And, um, are now like suddenly on this weird resurgence. Interesting team. I think they're cool to watch. Mm. Keep an eye on them. West Brom, utterly irrelevant. They're going down the season. West Ham, utterly irrelevant. They're probably going to stay up, but they're not interesting. Wolves, mm -hmm. um, they, they, I think they have this weird relationship to some Portuguese agents, which means that all the Portuguese good talent gets funneled to Wolves and they have a very cool, exciting team, but that's about it. So... Huh. The reason that I've given you Liverpool leads is it's an exciting mm -hmm. game that shows off all the drama, silliness, weirdness of this particular version of the Premier League season. It is in quarantine. There is no one in the stadium. But this was the team that arrived top top of the table from the lower division up against a team that literally ripped everyone to shreds the season before. Um, I can't tell you how you will experience like the flow of the game. I can't mm -hmm. tell you... like whether you'll be able to pick up what I love about the sort of like tactical back and forth, the use of space, all that stuff. If at some point we sat down and watched the game together, I might like make pointers about like what I think is going on that's so cool. But like fundamentally, mm. Liverpool and Leeds are two exciting teams that are trying to do exciting things on a football pitch and that they produced a really cool match when they played each other last. That's like about as good an advert as I can give you. 
The alternative, though, is I could give you a match like Bayern Munich-Barcelona from last season's Champions League semis, which was a game where, like, a demolition happened and, like, a hinge point in the narrative of, like, some people's seasons and careers happened. And that's not the game I'm giving you. Like, no careers were made or broken by this Leeds-Liverpool match. There are games like that I could give you, like, but that's for us to decide, like, which teams you start caring about. What I'm just trying to do is, like, Get you give you a feel for what Premier League football looks like and what like it can okay. be at its best, and then maybe you'll start to be like, oh, I really like this player. He runs a cool, funny way. Or I saw him on my Twitter feeds <laughs> with make there were jokes about him or whatever that might be. I can't tell you who you're going to fall in love with or how or why. All I can do is like show you the best version of the stuff I like in the Premier League, and we can go from there. Right. Um, I'm just gonna ask. And I've forgotten what I was going to ask. Oh, yes. I I keep thinking about, and I haven't tweeted this yet, mm-hmm. ever. but ever since I got access to this website, it might be fun to like just tweet like, hey, on Tuesday, I'm going to be watching like the 1994 Western Conference Finals. <laughs> Does anybody just want to be watch, like, watch those with me? Um, like, and we could absolutely put some like premier league and la liga and yeah. european football and those there. are the ones where it'd be like here's an iconic moment from recent sporting history like there are yeah there are champions league games in particular that i could think it's like that's perfect for that sort of like let's see the end of an era in action or let's see the birth of a new one in action and like that right that i could like absolutely just show you that i have a bunch yeah, of games of the that reason kind. the reason i was watching that was that um one, it's fun because that's when Rodman was on the Spurs, which is just the most absurd mm. thing that yeah. <laughs> ever happened. Um, and two, like, my friend and I were talking about Hakeem, and I realized, oh, I've never really watched Hakeem play. Yeah. Let me just pull up this iconic Hakeem game. And we could absolutely just be like, let's pull up this iconic Messi game. Let's like, yep. pull up this iconic, uh, I hope I'm going to say this right, Mbappe game. Yay! Uh, like, yeah, we could absolutely just do that, mm-hmm. you know? So. Yeah, no, totally. So, yeah wonderful so yeah like Um, that's my like intro pitch for the teams who are interesting and you might again like i will always like campaign for arsenal because i think just to to, like flesh out why why i'm an arsenal fan um just below this list on the wikipedia page is the sort of geographic spread of english premier league teams and the thing you'll notice is that like it is in no way uniform. Like, the, the thing about US franchises is that, like, you're meant to have one a city because you have, like, the thing that serves your regional area. Like, you're, right. you're meant to have, like, the, the, like, Kansas Metro, Kansas City Metro area team and the Houston, or the Dallas Fort Worth team and the, et cetera, right. et cetera. That just doesn't happen because, like, English, like, football teams are not set up with, like, commercial balance of the interests of the league in mind. These are like independent organizations who are not like awarded franchises. They are private businesses that rise and fall as they are good or not. So like naturally, like they will concentrate in the big cities where there's been historically like pools of footballing talent. Like London's always been a hotbed for football talent. So has been Manchester. So has been Liverpool. So has been the Northeast around Newcastle. So you're just going to get clusters of teams. They're also just concentrated in like certain cities that have great footballing tradition they're concentrated in regions that have a great footballing tradition. Like you'll see that there's a mm-hmm. gap in the Midlands, but like a really heavy concentration in the sort of industrial North and right. also a concentration in London. And like, that's also no surprise to me. Um, but what you'll get is these sorts of very close rivalries. So like 
next on the sort of inset map of London, you'll see you have Arsenal, which is that sort of like central northwest London team. Right. Um, and then very close to them, you have Spurs, Tottenham Hotspur, Hugh, and that's like the North London rivalry. Um, if you look on that map, okay, yeah, yeah, if yeah. you look on that map, as I see it, I grew up where the like, uh, the like R of Arsenal is. Okay. Okay. Um, and the dot is where it is. Like a short right. couple miles away was the Arsenal Stadium, first Highbury, now the Emirates. Um, my sister's close family are sorry, sister's close family. My sister's like in-laws, like partner of ten years. That family is a family of Arsenal season ticket holders. Um, we like uh, have always bonded over our mutual love of football, and I've fallen into being like. I realized quite late, honestly, that what I really cared about was the communal experience we were all having around Arsenal following them because they were such a fascinating, weird, frequently disappointing, but like a like passion inducing team because they play beautiful football. Like, again, their old manager, Arsene Wenger, is one of the like great innovators of the English game, one of the real ideologues of the English game. I love him to bits. Um, He's one of those pop figures, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. But like, it really turned out that like what I cared about was my team from my area, and that's Arsenal. But like again, you have one, two, three, four, five, six teams all in all within not central, but like like close in London. Um, you have three teams in the area of the West Midlands around Birmingham. You have two teams in Manchester, two teams in Liverpool. Two in Yorkshire, Burnley's an outlier, Newcastle's currently the only Northeast team, and two on the South Coast. Like, the distribution is not the same. It's not the sort of, like, every team is of a similar order of magnitude in, like, resources and scale. Right, Some of these right. teams have radically different histories. Some are, like, uh, old historic teams that have, like, accumulated wealth over time. There are very few of those are left. Um, some of them have like foreign investment, like Liverpool and to some degree Arsenal and very much Man City and Chelsea and United. Um, and like some are clubs like, I don't know, like Sheffield, which doesn't have big ownership and doesn't have massive investment, but have like done clever things to get back to the top tier. Um, so like mm-hmm. you get this sort of weird heterogeneous like spread of kinds of club that you just don't in American sports. And I feel like that's the hardest thing to translate to an American viewer is that like the understanding the sort of like geographical differences, political difference, I say political as in like the geopolitical differences, the spatial differences, the, the financial backing and the structure of the clubs and how that differs from like the relative homogenous nature that you expect from American teams. It's just like, this is cool Mm -hmm. and weird. And I get to like, bring in so many narratives that are specific to England in particular when we start talking about this. Real quick, because this conversation has also reminded me of something that we could maybe have basketball takes out Mm. about, and then I should probably head out of here. Yes. Because of COVID, um, people have been talking about, should the NBA expand? You'd get a whole bunch of um, people buying teams, investing in the league, all this stuff. Um, I don't know how much people have been talking about it, but it was something I've heard a few times. Mm-hmm. And I was curious if you had any takes about should the NBA expand? Interesting. I think maybe yes. So like, I want a team in Seattle. That's just an emotional thing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, same, same. Um, I also know that the NBA calendar is already overstuffed. Um, mm. And that, like, I do not want players playing 90 games a season. Like, I don't want that to be the normal expectation. I, w- I hadn't thought about that, that, like, more teams might mean more games. Yeah. Huh. Um, you might have to scale back the calendar slightly, and the people have been juggling that around. But fundamentally, like, TV revenue is even more important when you can't get seats, like bums on seats for stadium revenue. Like that's the biggest problem, at least in the Premier League, is like certain teams are more or less reliant on like filling their stadium to stay afloat. Um, I don't know what the situation is like with most of the NBA teams. Like a lot more NBA teams have regularly half-filled stadiums. I feel like so. I don't know whether yeah. I don't know whether bums on seats revenue is important for them. But like basketball tickets are expensive and there's no no one's going to G League games. No one is unfortunately going to WNBA games. Yeah. There isn't like people go to college games but not a ton. There's nothing like in baseball like like stands aren't filled, but that's also because like that's not you so- can go to a major league game 162 times a year. You can go to a minor league game 150 times a year yeah. or something like and the premier league is just different there are 38 premier league yeah. each team plays 38 games a season only half of them will be at home there will be like of four games in the cup on average maybe more if you make a run if you're in europe that's maybe another six games like a stadium might only host 30 games a year mm-hmm. um maybe more maybe less but in that range and like each of those can fit a certain number of people and half those tickets go immediately to season ticket holders and like the rest are scarce and high value commodities. So like yes. similar problem. Um, I don't know how the revenue dynamic changes in the era of COVID. I know that the TV deals are like yeah. down and confused because of the loss of games. But I think the thing is like if you are counterbalancing a loss of venue revenue you have to balance that with increases or balanced out tv revenue and the incentive therefore is to keep the number of games high um i think that's a big push against like continual expansion of the league because Mm -hmm. i don't know how you really restructure the league to encourage like encompass more teams while also keeping it sensibly sized um and keeping the demands on players sensible like the flip side of this is like if you have more if you have more teams, you can get the same number of games with less load on each individual player. And that seems reasonable too, but also I know how the incentives work and they want to like just duplicate the duplicate the calendar and all. So, you know. Yeah. If they if they if they expanded to my my first thought was one, you could get a basketball team in Seattle, you could get a basketball team in um uh in Vegas, and then probably Kentucky. That is like a big basketball college mm. basketball market that yeah. the NBA could start trying to move into. So, so again, I don't know the dynamics about what regions are lacking in the same way that like I know about Seattle because people have written articles about the loss of the Sonics and right. But also, I don't um, know whether like it seems perfectly obvious to me that a city like like I don't know Baltimore needs a basketball team. But I also don't know whether that's because like everyone from Baltimore is actually a Wizards fan. Or it's because like the 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 like there's a region that is just like a college basketball region and like you don't need to cover that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what the dynamics are, and that's like a thing about local geography that I just don't have a feel for. And my my other thought was that I I think they need to 
cut down to 70 to 75 games. Yes, yeah, that's, you know, if you, for, you want for, 10% less games, absolutely. If you cut down on the number of games and make more, uh, and create more teams, the regular season starts to matter a little more. Yeah. You know, the, the very, right now, the, the, over 50% of the teams get into the playoffs. Everything you can to make the playoffs, because the playoffs are going to be what matters always yeah but everything you can do to make the playoffs rates tighter like more teams to compete with fewer games to compete with them over yeah just is good the mere fact that like fewer games means higher variance basically it's like if you can just increase the odds of like weird things happening 15 percent, then that's just a good outcome for your league in all honesty yeah like, you might not yeah. want a horrendously unreliable league but if you're in this sort of situation, you make those changes, then like absolutely consider them. So the flip side of this is I'm thinking about what would, what's been talked about in the Premier League. And um, two things have been talked about in the Premier League, which is one is scaling the league back to 18 teams um, mm-hmm. uh, and then doing better revenue, revenue sharing arrangements with the lower leagues because... The, just to be clear, like the lower leagues doesn't mean the sort of like feeder progression system. It literally means teams who could be promoted if they succeeded enough to the Premier League. Like this is very much like right. there are like tiers one, two, three, four. Premier League, Championship, League One, League Two. That's like a very direct hierarchy. The problem right now is that like quite simply, there is not enough footballing revenue to go around if the Premier League is going to keep as much money as it does to fund professional teams in four divisions. England is weird. England has a shed load of professional teams because of like the history of football being so locally and institutionally entrenched. And just like in the era of COVID, like th- uh, third and fourth tier t- teams just cannot survive. They're just not happening. Um, so like there have been like negotiations that recently got shut down to like... <laughs> Uh, Sorry, I, oh. I'm laughing at something I saw on Twitter. I, I will tell you about it in a, moment, <laughs> cool. in a moment. Cool, cool, cool. But yeah, like, how do you get the league to survive in a healthy way? Maybe, like, shrink the Premier League but have better revenue sharing arrangements, all that sort of stuff. The other thing that's mm. happening is, like, the threat of a European Super League breakaway. So that would be, like, an American-style arrangement where, like, 18 teams from, like, five or six in England, four in Spain, four in Italy, three in Germany, and a couple from elsewhere play each other exclusively with no relegation and promotion in this sort of franchising arrangement. They're like, if you're a member of the Super huh. League, you are just a member of the Super League full stop. Huh. And they become a completely different sort of team disconnected from their national context, which is like horrible. And like, that's not the thing that makes, like the thing that makes European football yeah. so interesting is like the fact that like you have this multiple tier situation of like teams aspiring to be able to achieve at the highest level and that European competition is distinct thing from national competition and they have different demands and different ways of and dif- different sorts of structures and different histories and different cultures to them. So yeah, like it's actively bad, I think, and really shitty for the game if suddenly like all national teams like lose the top 20% of their talent and players and clubs to a Super League. Yeah. Um, but like these are the things that are actively happening right now in, in response to like well, TV revenue is like centralized over a certain number of clubs who are clearly far more valuable than others, even if there's still a supposed continuity between the the, the Manchester Uniteds and the the Liverpools of the world and the Sheffield Uniteds and Portsmouths and Boltons of the world, to name teams that right. like have sh- like either risen up the ranks or shot down them as they've like financially like buoyed up or figured things out on the pitch or like had crap management and like sunk. Um, 
And like, ugh. It's it's really scary. It's a really confusing moment because it feels like the the com- entirety of the institutional makeup of football is like up for grabs entirely. Um, and in in which case, like, in some ways, the 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 weird historic roots of the Premier League is like I said, the Premier League, like the Premier League was founded in ninety two, is like a re reimagined version of the first division. Like it's not itself old, but the like model of European football competition is very old and very entrenched. And that's a good backstop against like people doing shit, people doing rubbish shit. But at the same time, it feels like in this particular moment of economics and precarity, like so much more is on the table and I'm worried about it. So, yeah. So the thing I was laughing at, um, I wanted to, um, quickly, uh, I remembered something I saw in the news last night that I maybe wanted to touch on or like, which was just that a Raptors player, um, got arrested last night in New York for assaulting his girlfriend. Um, uh, if, if things are the way that they seem, they are like, I, I hope that like the Raptors opt not to renew his contract and that he's just out of the league. I kind of trust the NBA to be better about this than like the NFL has been. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the thing that I was laughing at, which that is nothing to laugh about, uh, it was that I just searched Twitter for for the Raptors to like make sure I had my facts straight on this. And my the first result was the mayor of Kansas City writing an open letter to the Raptors saying, <sighs> hey, if you need a temporary home because Canada won't let you play. Um, it won't let you be like coming in and out of the country and bringing teams in and out of the country uh, during COVID. We'd love to have you in Kansas City. And that just tickled my heart. Um, I would love to go watch the Raptors play, um, except that uh, <laughs> maybe I don't want to go watch the Raptors play during COVID. Maybe I don't want to drive no. all the way out to... Um, the COVID bowls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like, uh, lo- love to like recirculate air in an indoor arena in the middle of the pandemic. Anyway, um, this letter was signed by U.S. Congressman Emanuel Cleaver, um, who I met once and who uh, was the reverend for my grandparents' marriage, I believe. Um, so, shouts, shouts out to Emanuel Cleaver. Um, it's just very funny to try and like find this stuff that's like uh it seems it seems like if uh i believe it was terrence terrence martin um let me i'm gonna double check this one more time the player um, the player terrence davis who, uh yeah Ter- terrence davis um if like if what is being like you know if he did commit these crimes like i think he i think the rap the raptors uh already had a way to opt out of his contract at the, uh, this season anyway and hope it, it's really sad <laughs> if like this is a, a thing that's happening in the league and hopefully the league handles this better than uh, other sports leagues have yeah Ugh. fucking grim yeah it looks like he was an undrafted rookie so he could have any sort of contract I could basketball reference uh, to figure out what the yeah. structure of his contract is but I can't be asked to do that we'll find out soon enough yeah um, mm. I'm just reminded of you know uh, the the Chiefs team that 
went to yeah, the Super Bowl. Tyreek Hill was a, the, yeah. the biggest. What well, outside of Mahomes, probably the biggest name is Tyreek Hill. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, he's a monster. It makes it very hard to be excited about the the Chiefs being good for the first time in my entire life. Uh, it's hard to be excited about that when we have Tyreek Hill playing yeah. for us. You know, yeah, no, I absolutely feel that. So it's it's a funny one. Um, a while ago, I said like I need to pitch you on F one at some point. And F1 doesn't have the mm-hmm. same kind of abuse problems, but what it does have is a bunch of like 23 year old gamers who like use the R slur for idiots on track in inverted commas, um, How? among other things. And they are also the biggest stars of the sport. So, you know. How far away are we from Gordon Hayward? calling someone the n-word on a league stream i mean like, like sp- spiritually that has happened already it just didn't happen on twitch yeah yeah i just i just need the the two um like the two things of like celtics player and league player to intersect into like yeah not not 100 <laughs> i mean i don't want that to happen obviously it just feels like it's going to happen exactly <laughs> Again, I think it probably has, but probably on his second Xbox account and off Twitch. Yeah. 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 But yeah. Anyway. We will leave the reporting back from Autumn's first adventures in watching football and potentially F1 stuff, though the season's wrapping up, so that might leave that for a couple months' time. We'll see. Yeah. But yeah. Good, good chat. Good podcast. Um, we're uh, we're not gonna do plugs. This is a Patreon. Podcast. Yeah, you know what? Find us. Yeah, fucking. Uh, I'm gonna hit stop. Fucking, <laughs> you know where to find us? Fucking hashtag export chat in abnormal Mac and Discord. Yeah, yeah. Uh, use it. Uh, come talk. I'll read it. I I have read every message that's been posted in export chat. <laughs> um, so if people want to get at me, apparently that's just the way to do it. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah. Sick. Bye. Fuck the DA. Free the ruler. Sex canceled. I want to write for them to do Talking spicy, hella easy. Niggas hide behind computers. Talking about some. He gonna fight me. It's unlikely a tulip. Hoes asking if I'm booted. Take a hike. I said I might be in these subies. I might just make a movie. Like a Mikey Alfred. She know that I'm a Pisces. I be swimming through the coochie. And I'm like, what about it? I'm out here. Blue stress by the thousands. We count it. Then recount it. Loose lips sing ships, I ain't drown yet. Don't know what niggas asking, they hustling back to the same tall tale that you tucked that you ran with. If it's up, then it's stuck somewhere in the rafters. I'm up, I'm a factor, sharp like exacto. Promise mama I won't rap beef with no actor. All mud in the phrase, a nigga saying I'm a addict. Dealing with some things you perceive as post matter. I'm a roll runner, should be posing for ballot. I don't rap beef if it's on, I'm crash. All mud in the phrase, a nigga saying I'm a addict. Dealing with some Things you perceive as post traumatic. I'm a roll runner, should be posing for ballot. I don't rap beef if it's on, I'ma crash. You don't act. Fuck it, play it, bro. At me, they gon' have to find a suitable picture for Fox 11. You ain't learned from Cold Devil. I'm a nuisance. I'm telling, take a mud walk through Nemus like I got a special power. I got dirty money on me, but I just got out the shower. I shoot up everything. We ain't squabbling for hours. I can tell the nigga sour plug talking without fault no my attitude is childish. If I spoke to you, be honored. I'm a flu flammer, nigga. Two pumps when I end up trying to break a college and a bitch. I'm Draco. I'm a winner, niggas in it. Twitter fingers. If I shoot, shit, there's no end. The flashing lights on my pendant. I'm a Legend out of prison, I'm a front door kicker. Low cane was my mentor off a five and a perk. 230 
out of school from suspension Not because it was dismissed, so let my dick go Nigga, bro, I know you niggas miss me I'm mud in the phrase, a nigga saying I'm a addict Dealing with some things you perceive as post-traumatic I'm a roll runner, should be posing for ballot I don't rap beef, if it's on, I'm crash I'm mud in the phrase, a nigga saying I'm a addict Dealing with some things you perceive as post-traumatic I'm a roll runner, should be posing for ballot Should be posing for ballot. I don't rap beef if it's on. I'm crash rap mud in the freezer. Niggas saying I'm an addict. Dealing with some things you perceive as post-traumatic. I'm a roll runner. Should be posing for ballot. I don't rap beef if it's on. I'ma crash you.